like I always do, on top of all that. Uh, the first one is we are doing a questionnaire with all of Element, or those of you who want to actually show up and do it. Uh, we're doing this questionnaire, and I was looking around the room for the QR codes, and they're not in here anymore. Uh, but at the Welcome Center, there is a QR code you can scan with your phone, or if you use the U version, uh, it'll come up in there. If you get the email update, which we send out every week, it'll be there'll be a link in the email update. And this is a questionnaire about element, attendance, membership, uh, certain theology things, gospel communities. And these are just questions we wanted you guys to go through and honestly answer. Uh, because next year, in January, we're going to have a little staff retreat. We're going to plan out you know, the coming year, the things that we need to focus on, the things that we need to teach and, and to help you to learn and to grow in. And this greatly helps us to do that. It is not a short thing. So if you sit down and be like, I'll get done in 30 seconds. No, you won't. Uh, it's going to be about 15 minutes, depending on what sections you say yes and no to. If You, you can also do it anonymously because you can be like, I hate you guys. I only come every week just to watch somebody have to restart a song on stage or something like that. You know, no, you know, it's, you can actually answer anonymously. You can do that. And, but if you don't answer anonymously and you put your name on it, we are talking about doing a raffle of some sort. We don't know what yet. Uh, and handing out a gift card to somewhere for something. Yeah. Uh, what's your middle name? Steve Pruitt. Stephen Pruitt. Steven with a V Pruitt, with a PH. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, so fill it out. You'd greatly help us in the coming year. That would be amazing. Uh, if you don't, it's, it is online because it's too long to print out, and that's why we're doing it online. Uh, if you don't know how to use a QR code, it's really simple on any modern smartphone. If you have one of those flip phones that you got to, like, you know, push like the one three times to get an A, it's not going to work for you. But if you have a smartphone, you can go and look at a QR code. You just open your camera. You don't have an app. And your camera will put a little thing on the bottom, and it'll, you can just click on that, and it'll bring up the web page for it. We'll also put in the email update if you don't have that. We just want you guys to be able to answer that. Does that sound okay? All right. Uh, the second thing I have is to remind you about is Christmas Eve services. Okay, Christmas Eve services are on Christmas Eve. It's a Saturday. It's a Saturday. Christmas Eve services are on Christmas Eve. We're going to do them at 4, 6, and 8 p.m. Uh, because the most heavily attended was the 5 o'clock the last time we did an indoor Christmas Eve service. And a bunch of kids. So we did that over two. And so if you know somebody and want to invite them, that'll be great. 8 o'clock. We're trying to make the sound out of this room quieter for our neighbors towards the end of the night. So 4, 6, and 8. If you're watching online, we are not live streaming the Christmas Eve services. There's a lot of different moving parts with the band. It'd be a nightmare to try and mix that for the live stream. So sorry, not sorry for the guy who has to sit out there and do it. Uh, but it, we would enjoy for all of, you to, all of you to come here. We even have little gifts to give you that'll be kind of neat and cool that'll remind you of Christmas Eve service like when we used to do them, you know, back when the world was the world. And anyway, so Christmas Eve services. There you go. Welcome to Element. 
If you are new, there are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are not sermon notes on the communion tables throughout the room. There are these prayer booklets. We're getting very close to the end, and this one is now finally falling apart. This back thing finally fell off of it. Uh, but inside these, you're going to get 13 weeks of sermon notes, 13 weeks of short little daily devotions, one verse, one question to get you in the habit if you have never done that. There are questions to ask your family. There are questions to ask your gospel community or your friends. There's lots of stuff. And at the end of this, you'll get some things about uh, fasting and different ways to pray and reach out to God. It all kind of goes together in our series. So grab one of those if you don't have one yet, even though we're almost done. You can go back and listen to all the messages if you missed it. But you can also grab one of these if you want to write down notes in the message, because we don't have places to write sermon notes in those. That's what these are for, but also for you to write down your prayer requests and what God is doing over the course of the series. So by the end of the series, maybe week one to week 13, you can really see what God has been doing. And there's some beautiful things as you look back and write things down of what's taken place in the last couple months to now and say, wow, God, you do move, you do act, you are moving in my life, even when I don't see it day to day. Now I see that you are. So grab one of those as well. If you have a smart device, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. Click on More and then Events in Uversion. We will come up by GPS in your smart device and you'll get sermon notes versus the questionnaire. Everything that goes with today's message. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? This is Daniel chapter 9, verse 18, and it says, O oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. Let's pray. Father, today I ask that we would be a people who understand that, that our lives are a gift from you, and what you do is because of your love and your great mercy. It is not because we are so great and wonderful that you can't help yourself but to come in and rescue us. It's that you are good and that you are loving and that you bring about your ultimate purpose in your sovereignty and that we'd be a people who trust you in that. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so we are doing this series through prayer. This is week 11. And I told you this before that when I mentioned this to one of my friends that we are doing 13 weeks on prayer, they go, boy, that's a long series on prayer. And by the end, I'm telling you, I don't feel like it's really long enough, but you probably felt like it's been too long. So whatever. Uh, we spent the first eight weeks just talking about what prayer is, what prayer isn't, different things around prayer, like how God works, how we centralize our, our lives and communication with Him. And all of it really starts with God's revelation of Himself. That if you want to have a conversation with somebody, if you don't know who they are, you don't know how to start the conversation. God knows us intimately because He made us. And then so he reveals himself. And in that revelation of himself, we can step into relationship with him. So we have been defining prayer like this. Prayer is a continuing conversation that God has started through his word and provided by, a, by his grace, which eventually becomes a full encounter with him. Prayer is not trying to manipulate God to get the things that you want. I, every time you watch some crazy sci-fi or horror TV show, any person who's a Christian is just a nut in it. And hopefully, if you've gone to Element for any length of time, you realize we are nuts. But not like that, right? We're not nuts like that. We are people who want to serve and love and worship God. And sure, we fail and fall, but this is where God's great love comes in and steps in for us. And prayer is a relationship with God. God himself. And God is all-powerful and majestic and holy, yet he reveals himself to 
to us in his word so we can know who he is. And today, I think that prayer is quickly becoming one of the most undervalued resources in the church. And I waited till this week to say that because I didn't want you to misunderstand me. Uh, The Bible teaches that many of the blessings that God longs to bestow in our lives come as a result of prayer. There are really good indicators that prayer is the conduit by which God's power comes into our lives and into our families' lives. And again, I wait till this week to say that so you have all the background so you know I'm not talking about voodoo or incantations. Oh, we say these things and God has to do that. No, it is that we step deeper into relationship with God. It's that as we grow closer to Him, His power is then revealed in us by our proximity to Him. And so we want to grow closer and closer to Him. Uh, John Wesley, who's one of the pioneers of the historical movement known as the Great Awakening, he once said this, God does nothing on earth except an answer to prayer. And I disagree. I totally disagree because that's an overstatement. God is not beholden to us and our prayers in order to do anything. But the means by which God does release much of his power in our lives comes as a result of prayer. And I hope after 11 weeks that makes some sense to you. I would say if you want to walk more closely with Jesus, you should pray and read your Bible and read your Bible and pray and pray as you read through your Bible. God's written words to us. I can tell you guys are totally into it. Okay, all right. So after looking, uh, after eight weeks of what prayer is, we are spending the last few weeks of this series now taking case studies and looking at people and how they prayed, what their focus looked like, how they cried out to God, and how the perseverance in that and how they cried out to God. So we talked about this guy named Abraham. And Abraham is a guy who goes to God. He is much more humble than we typically are, but much more bold than we typically are in our prayers. And he says, God, would you save that city for the sake of gets down to 10 righteous people, realizing in the end, there aren't 10 righteous people. There's not even one. And the prayer ends really looking, is there one righteous person who will ever come? And one righteous person eventually does come, and that is Jesus Christ. And Abraham's prayer teaches us to look forward to what God will do by laying his righteousness upon us. Then we talked about this guy named He-Man, and he's not the master of the universe, by the way. But He-Man is a guy who was so down in his darkness that when he prayed, his prayers were focused upon himself. Where Abraham's were outside of himself for other people, He-Man's was directly towards himself. Now today we're going to look at a guy who prays for both. He prays for others and he prays for himself and what God is going to do. And when we talk about this guy today, this is someone that if you have ever gone through children's church or you've been in church for any length of time, you heard about this guy because he's one of the most famous heroes in all of the Bible. His name is Daniel. And he prays to God, recognizing where his country failed, but also where God has shown himself faithful. So if you have a Bible, open to Daniel chapter 1. The prayer itself is actually in Daniel chapter 9. We're going to get there eventually, but we're going to start in 1 because you have to get the whole background of why Daniel was where he was and why certain things happened. If you have an element Bible, it's on page 478. You're welcome. Sometimes it's hard to find. And what you'll see that Daniel is committed to this discipline of prayer, praying to God multiple times during the day. Many times we say, I want to pray to God. I'm going to pray to God. But it's the last thing that we make time for. Daniel carves it into his schedule every single day, no matter what. And you're going to see, I literally mean, no matter what. So historically, Daniel is in a place called Babylon. Babylon's a bad place. If the Rolling Stones names an album after you, it's going to be a bad place. But when the Babylonians, they come into Judah in 587 BC, they destroy everything. And the people that they didn't kill, they hauled off into captivity, into slavery. What they also did when this happened is the children that they would take with them, they would they would. 
indoctrinate them into that country's culture so that these people wouldn't really have a home anymore. It would be the home that they were taken into. And that's how you would break a country's spirit. And I will tell you, this is one of the important reasons why at Element we want to teach your kids about who Jesus is. And it's not just stories about how God's your buddy and he's your friend. It's that God is sovereign and he's good and he is holy and he, was, and he is great. And we must teach kids this. And in your homes, you must teach your kids this. Because when they go out into the world, which they need to do, they need to have this foundation. And you will see what happens with Daniel is he has this foundation. Because it takes him as he walks into all these places. So keep that in mind as you kind of walk through this. Now, Daniel, scholars say, was most likely probably junior high age, so he's middle school years. God had told his people, if you continue to disobey and hurt those around you, I will send you into captivity. I will discipline you. And this is what he eventually does. So being in middle school years means that Daniel probably most likely saw his parents murdered in front of him and that he was then thrown in a cage and hauled off into exile, into Babylon. This is why early instruction is important. So this is how Daniel starts captivity. Daniel 1 Starting in verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, not a good king, by the way, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. God gave them into the Babylonian's hand. He put them there. And as you go through the book of Daniel, you will see that the entire book is really about who's in control. Who actually has control? Is it Nebuchadnezzar? Is it Jehoiakim? Is it a guy named Darius, who you'll meet in a little bit? These people were where they are because God put them there. God had told them a hundred years before this ever took place what he was going to do. God is the one in control. So they get hauled off there. It doesn't stop. Nebuchadnezzar, as I says goes to one of his officials, and he says, I want you to take the best young men you can find, the smartest, the quickest, the brightest, the best, and put them in a training program, and in three years, teach them how to become Babylonians. This is where you meet Daniel. Go to verse 6. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. Now part of this is, I can't pronounce these Hebrew names, so you're Jack, you're Joe, you're Carl. But also, it is taking away their cultural identity and giving them Babylonian names. Now three years passed, you can read through some of the stuff that takes place there. But three years pass, and these guys will get presented to Nebuchadnezzar. And not only were they the cream of the crop, go to verse 20 of chapter 1, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. This means they had more knowledge. These young whippersnappers were better than the ones that have been serving the king for decades end scene. Okay, so you go to chapter 2. Chapter 2 comes along and Daniel's going to save all of the wise men because the king had this dream and he told the wise men they had to tell him what the dream was and to figure it out and to let him know what it was and nobody could do it. So the king's like, what's my dream? And the wise men are like, well, tell us what you dreamed and we'll make something up. And the king says, nope, you tell me what I dreamed and then tell me what it means and if you don't, I'll kill you all. So everybody is getting ready to get killed and then And Daniel steps in, and Daniel can do this. Daniel says, this was your dream, and this is what it meant, and Daniel gets promoted. 
Unseen. Okay, go to Daniel chapter 4. Same thing happens again, which makes the other wise men not happy that Daniel is saving their lives, but it makes them jealous. How dare he know more than I do? I've been doing this job this long. You ever get jealous of like you've got a job forever and someone shows up and they do the job better than you? It's like, how dare they do the job better than me? That's the wise men, and Daniel just does it better. But they're also jealous because it's racial, because these are Hebrews, and the Israelites are beneath them, but now they're in positions of authority that are over them. Okay, chapter 5. See, I'm getting you there. We're, we're going to get there really quick. Dan, uh, Daniel chapter 5, Belshazzar, not Belteshazzar, that's Daniel. Belshazzar is Nebuchadnezzar's son. He now steps in as king. Chapter 5, verse 4, he's having this party, and the text says this. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. This all relates back to Daniel chapter 2 when I told you about the dream the king had. So Daniel tells the king, you had a dream and there is a statue and there's a head of gold and the next part was silver and the next part was bronze and the next part was iron and then the feet were made of iron and clay and a stone is cut out and it knocked over the statue and I got to tell you, Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold and it's all going to come tumbling down. You have power, you're the king of the world, but it will get knocked down because it's about issues of control. Now, Nebuchadnezzar's son Belshazzar in Daniel 5 is now worshiping these images from his father's dream because the head of gold has gotten knocked over. And he's like, oh, I should worship these things and maybe I'll stay in power. Nope, it's not how it works. In chapter 5, you see God will use Belshazzar's false worship to warn that the rebellious will reap God's wrath, however secure that they think that they, will, they are. And some people will say, well, where is God's grace in that warning? And I will say, if God did not love, he would not warn. And there's lots of warnings for us to listen to throughout this. Who is in control? God himself. Okay, so in chapter 5, all this revelry is taking place, and God has this hand appear, and it writes on the wall, and it's like, what is the handwriting? Go get Daniel. He knows, and so Daniel interprets this, and it's that very night, he says, you know, your kingdom's going to be taken away, Belshazzar, and that very night, the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, are conquered by the Medes, or the Persian, and this guy named Darius. Now, that's where chapter 6 starts, so open to chapter 6. We are going to read out of that, actually, so... In Daniel, you'll see that Daniel in his life is blessing whoever the king is because God has called him to be a blessing. It's not that he's a coward. It's not that he's weak. It's that he understands who God called him to be in the world. Wise men in this culture were protected. And when another country came in and defeated everybody, they wanted to keep those wise men as their own so the wise men can now advise them. Not that they did a great job of advising the old king if his whole kingdom just got taken out, but whatever. So Darius, at the beginning of chapter six. His kingdom is getting way too big. He's like, how do I handle all of this? So he takes 120 things called satraps and he puts them in charge of all the different areas. But he doesn't want 120 direct reports. So he takes three people and puts them above those satraps to get three direct reports. Daniel is one of those three people. Daniel then distinguishes himself so much that the king says, I don't need three direct reports. I just want one. I want that from Daniel. And so everybody else has to report to him. How does everybody else feel about that? 
right. They don't, they don't like it. And so this, they try to get some dirt on Daniel. Daniel chapter 6, verse 4. Then the high officials in the satrap sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. They go looking for dirt on him in regard to the king and his rules and his kingdom and they can't find any. Now, you've seen modern American politics. What do you do when you can't find any dirt? You make it up or you make the issue that they have no dirt, the problem. Oh, they have no dirt. It must be hiding something. Something must be going on over here. So we're going to find out what that is. Daniel chapter 6, verse 5. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Ooh, this guy just loves and obeys God too much. That's a problem. I got to tell you. It might become a problem. It seems like it's moving that way at this point. What you see, though, is all the indoctrination that Daniel went through through all of these years, he still worshiped the one true God. That early education is so important for our kids. We must continue to teach them who God is. Daniel, through his sadness and his loss and being hauled off and indoctrinated, still worshiped God. These other people know Daniel, he's still a Jew. He's from the tribe of Judah. And he gets down on his knees three times a day and prays to God. That's what they used to get him. Verse 6. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed. This would be all except Daniel, by the way. That the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Ooh, now the den of lions, it's not like the zoo. Like you disobey the king, you get a trip to the zoo. That's not what this is. Uh, The den of lions is where they kept these lions hungry. And when you put someone in there, it was a slow, painful death. That's what it's talking about. And again, this is about issues of control. They say, we think it's a good idea that nobody prays to anybody except to you, O king. And that's it. Now, if you're paying attention in this series, yeah, that's not prayer. Okay, that's not prayer. Darius, though, says, that sounds like a great idea. Let's do it. And he makes this edict that not even he can change. And Darius falls to flattery and bad political advice. And so glad we outgrown that in our political system. So you're probably thinking, Aaron, this is a lot. Okay, where are we talking about prayer? I thought we were talking about prayer. This is where we get to it. That's, that's the setup. I know, half the message, the setup. That's okay. So here you see, Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went into his house where he had windows in his upper chamber towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. You see, what is Daniel's focus? It is God himself, and he's giving thanks for who God is. Horrible law got passed. What does Daniel do? God, thank you for being good. Thank you for being sovereign. Thank you for knowing what you are doing. I will trust you in the midst of whatever takes place as he had done previously. That's not new. That is who he is. Daniel puts God first. Verse 11. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. They knew he was going to do this. They knew he was more faithful to God than anything else. So they put him in change. They go to the king and they say, King, we have some really sad news. You know, Daniel, everybody loves Daniel. I mean, I mean, he's like apple pie and ice cream. We, we love him. He's so great. But you know what? We caught him praying to somebody that wasn't you. And we're sad to 
say that he's violating your edict, and you know it's irrevocable, you have to throw him to the lions. Now, what you see is Daniel does not get his marching orders from the king, the daily newspaper, the school administration officials, what's popular and trending on Twitter or Mastodon or whatever you're using nowadays, what's deemed socially acceptable or politically correct or anything else. He prays to God, which is, by the way, how he got to the position he was in the first place. And you see, God blessed him, but God also allowed hardship and pain in his life. If you try to please everyone in your life, you're going to fail everybody. When you're concerned with pleasing the only one who matters, God himself, not only are your decisions much easier, but you never have to second-guess yourself. Did Did I do the right thing when trouble and calamity falls? God, I'm still following you, and I know these terrible things are happening, but I'm still going to follow you because I trust you, because I love you. So three points in Daniel's prayer life. Here we go. First off, Daniel's prayer life is characterized by discipline. I know you're like, discipline? Discipline's not a bad word. The story tells us Daniel prayed routinely three times a day. I think that's the primary source of his strength. He prayed as much as he ate three times a day. The most important discipline we will ever have in our lives is meeting with God every day. If you don't take time for a relationship with God every single day, all of your other relationships are going to become anemic as well. And let me just say, a discipline is not something you force yourself stoically into to make yourself do the right thing. A discipline is something that becomes a way of life. It becomes just who we are. We want to live in ways that we rely on God's strength. So we train ourselves to understand, first and foremost, what the gospel is. What God has done to rescue us as the basis for all that we do. And only by the gospel being our focus will we have this desire to live and essentially train ourselves to center on God first. This is one of the reasons in the prayer booklets we have put short little daily devotions. Because if you don't spend time with God every day, it's a really easy way to start and develop that habit and that discipline because in the end who is in control it's not you it's God and so we trust him Jesus prays all night before he chose his disciples I mean think of how important that is how many big decisions do we go into and we don't even pray about it the night before Jesus is tried and crucified he takes his three closest friends with him into a garden says will you pray with me Jesus goes into the greatest struggle of his life and he asks his friends to pray with him and that's Jesus and during that time Jesus goes off to pray they all fall asleep he's got to come back and wake them up you probably know what this is like if you're married you're watching a TV show and you're like and you see them there did you fall asleep I didn't fall asleep talking about you know is they're wiping the sleep out of their eyes that's that's these guys right here and right after this moment peter's going to go out and deny jesus three times and i wonder if he actually stayed up and prayed would he have fallen prey to that would he have been stronger in the midst of that struggle daniel when his moment comes he keeps praying because he knew that no there's nothing more important than spending time with god Guys, I've heard horrible sermons about this, so please don't think that I'm saying, oh, you pray three times a day, that's the magic number, and you'll conquer all of life's greatest foes. That is not what I'm saying. But what if we actually started and ended our days in prayer? in talking to God and spending time with Him? What if when you looked at your calendar, you actually prayed through that? What if when you brushed your teeth in the morning, hopefully you do, what if when you brushed your teeth in the morning, you prayed for fresh words, not just fresh breath? What if everything that you did was kind of centered first in that idea of relationship with God? Why do we pray? Because we are told apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. 
So we must develop this discipline of prayer. And that's, again, why we're doing this series. The second thing you'll see is Daniel was committed to prayer even when people mocked him or were seen as defiance. He saw prayer as being so important. Daniel prays when it's against the law to pray. But he also committed to pray in defiance of his current situation. Now, we don't know all the words that Daniel prayed three times a day, every day, probably different things. But you do have a prayer in Daniel chapter 9. You do get to see some of the ways that he prayed. So I'm, gonna not, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to show you two really interesting parts in this. I'm going to show you Daniel chapter 9, verses 8 through 11, and then Daniel chapter 9, verses 17 through 19. These two different ways that he did this. So this is how he prays. Daniel 9, verses 8 through 11. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame. To our king to our princes and to our fathers because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God walking in his laws which he set before us by his servants the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside refusing to obey your voice. Now you have to hear this because how old was Daniel when he got taken into captivity? Junior high, middle school, right? Young kid. So Daniel could have prayed, Oh God, all those knuckleheads in my country, look at what they did, they're so terrible. But no, he puts himself in the midst of his people. He says, God, I recognize my own faults. I recognize who I am in the midst of this. And he places himself right in the midst of his people. He doesn't make himself better than that. He prays, God, this is who we are, and we need your mercy. Verse 17, Now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy, and for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon the sanctuary which is desolate. That is so theological. We talked about this the second week. Why does God save us for his glory and our good, for his name's sake? And that's how Daniel was praying. Oh God, for your own sake. Verse 18. Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. This is one of the reasons when we pray, we say, in Jesus' name, for your name. Let me give you three things that Daniel talks about here in this prayer. First off, there is a spirit of repentance and humility. God is first, not us. We don't hide our sin. We certainly don't think we're more than we are in front of him. There is complete honesty, no cover-up. Again, junior high when he's hauled off, he could have said it's all those other people's problems. But no, he puts himself in the midst of his own people and calls it for what it is. Second thing, you see great hope in in God's mercy. And this is this is one of the I should tattoo this on somebody. This is this seriously, this is like the best. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. Because we God doesn't hear our prayers or join a relationship with us because we're so great and worthy. He listens because he's merciful. He listens because he's good. Prayer is meant to be God-centered, not us-centered. And then he trusts in the promises of God. He says, O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Again, that's theological. And when he says, delay not, pay attention and act, that's not arrogance. It's not, God, you got to do these things. This is actually something God himself said he would do in Deuteronomy chapter 30. If Israel goes into exile, when they repent, God would bring them back to Israel. He's praying through the scriptures. He understands the scriptures. J.D. Greer once said this, 
Effective prayer begins when you perceive the gap between where a situation is and where God wants it to be. Meaning, if you go back to say something like uh, the Lord's Prayer, the disciples' prayer, and it says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, there's probably a different way things are functioning in heaven than they are on earth, if you haven't noticed, right? And so, if you want to know what that will ultimately be seen and be like, you read the scriptures. So, how well do we know our Bibles? There's a lot of people who say, I just want to know God's will. You can't know God's will any more than you know his word. And if you want to pray well, we should spend time in his revealed word. God has revealed himself to us in his word, and that is grace, so we can have a full encounter with him. You see how it all comes back together? Okay, know the word well. All right, third thing you see in Daniel here is that our prayers should be characterized by perseverance. And when I say that, this is endurance and perseverance, the same thing, but you can see that sounds like a lot of hard work on our part, but it's not necessarily that. Let me explain what I mean. First off, Daniel was willing to be thrown into a lion's den and still never stop praying. That's how important it was to him. He prioritized it. So how valuable is prayer to us? How valuable is it? Daniel's willing to lose his life over it, which would make us ask, how do we prioritize it? Second thing is Daniel persisted in prayer until God answered. Like Israel does get to return from exile. It's 70 years after they're hauled off. For Daniel as a junior hire, that means he was probably prayed about 60 years before that answer was given. Would you pray for something 60 years? You're like, I'm not even 60 years old. Exactly. Would you keep praying? Would you keep going? Even when you don't see the answer to it? You know, God must not hear. God must not care. 60 years is how long Daniel prayed here. And one, persistence, and when I say that, is not a guarantee that God's even going to do what you're praying for. But it's a reflection of the value that we place in him. How well do we persist and how well do we rest in what God has done in his sovereignty? And those are good questions because it's almost like this tension that we live in when you look at the scriptures. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the apostle Paul prays three times, God, remove this affliction from my life. He calls it a thorn in his flesh and God doesn't do it. God sends back word, Paul, I'm not going to do that, but I will give you my grace in it. In one of the earlier weeks, I talked to you about how we don't pray like pagans who just say a bunch of words and hope something sticks and God eventually does the thing we're asking for because we won't shut up. Like, ah! You know, and Jesus says, no, you pray to God as a father. But as a father, that means God has the right to say no. And you might pray for something in your opinion that is very good and must be the will of God, and yet it will not happen no, no matter how long you pray. And yet the Bible also on the other side tells you to be like a persistent widow who is just knocking on a judge's door all night long. Listen! Listen! All night long. And it says to do that. You've got a guy named Jacob who wrestles with God all night long. And then you got Daniel who prays for 60 years. And the Bible presents both sides. Both sides that we trust until we get an answer. And sometimes God will answer. And you won't even know that the answer came. Like in the book of Acts, you got these, Peter gets thrown into jail. And you got this church in this house. Oh God, please get Peter out of jail. Oh God. And so this angel shows up, gets Peter out, doesn't jailbreak, gets him out of jail, takes him to the house. He knocks on the door. They open the door and like, shut the door in his face. It's just a ghost because they didn't think God was going to do it. I mean, it's amazing. There is tension in the Bible. We keep praying and pressing and we talk to certain things about God until maybe we're certain God says to stop or change your direction. That's where God's Spirit guides us. And if you are sure, like not sure just you, but from God's Spirit, that you're interpreting correctly, you pray. 
And you never stop praying. You never stop. God wants the gospel to go forward. We keep praying about that. Even when it feels like it's getting stopped in all these places, we still pray for the gospel to go forward. We endure. We persist. Here's an example. A few years ago, Element was meeting at another location. We bought this piece of property next to us. We believe God led us to buy that piece of property. And so we were praying, oh God, help us to build a building on this piece of property. And then as time goes on, we realized that California changed their codes again and our building was going to cost twice what we thought it was going to cost. We're like, oh my goodness. And all those doors start to shut. And so our prayers, they start to change from this building to God, give us a home in the Santa Maria Valley. God, help us to be a light and a beacon for people who are here. And I think in the end, that's probably a much better prayer. And God steered us over to this place. And we sold that piece of property, which was like four acres with no buildings on it. And for the exact price that we bought this piece of property for with all the buildings on it, and it's 5.2 acres. So it's bigger. And with buildings. It's like, well, does God know what he's doing? Buy this piece of property. Okay, you must mean this. I want a building. No, I just meant buy the piece of property. <laughs> I know what I'm doing. In the end, your prayers change because you see what God is leading you towards. Habakkuk, I talked about him last week a little bit. Habakkuk is this prophet. And God says, I'm going to discipline my people by sending the Babylonians, Darius, all that's taking place in Daniel. I'm going to send them in and they're going to haul my people off into captivity. And Daniel or Habakkuk's prayers, no God, no, no God, no. And God says, Habakkuk, this is what I'm going to do. And Habakkuk's prayer changes instead to this idea of God teaches to trust you through the coming trial, which is such a better prayer anyway, right? As God moves us and we listen to what he says. Because we, we discipline in prayer. We commit to prayer. We endure in prayer. Now, if you've never heard the story of Daniel, I'll tell you, like, what's the, how's it end? This is how it is. Uh, Daniel, Daniel in the lion's den, right? There's a reason it's called Daniel in the lion's den. He gets thrown into the lion's den. King Darius never wanted that to happen. And you're told in the scriptures that he stays up all night worried about his favorite official, Daniel. Oh my goodness, is Daniel going to die? So he stays up all night. The, the jealous satraps stay up all night as well, but they're partying. Yay, got rid of that guy. And one commentator says, it seems like the only person who got a good night's sleep was Daniel. <laughs> Because everybody else is up all night. And so the king the next day runs down. Daniel, are you there? Kind of our metaphor. He's like sitting there with a cup of coffee, hanging out with the lions and all that. You know, God did keep Daniel safe through the midst of this. You know, the, the wickedness that you see was overturned. God was glorified. Issues of control. But I also want to point this out. Because I've heard also horrible sermons on this as well. Here's a warning. Do not conclude the, me- the message of the story is, if you pray, God's going to keep you safe from all the lions. That is not what is happening here. God doesn't necessarily deliver us from, quote-unquote, physical harm. We know that's not true. You look through history. Lots of people who love God throughout history were killed by lions, literally and metaphorically. The message of the story points beyond itself. Who is ultimately in control? Who do we ultimately trust? This is like all Old Testament stories. Daniel points us to someone who is more humble, more merciful, and a greater endurance than himself, which is Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 11, it's called, you know, the, the chapter all about these people of faith. And so you have all these people about all the things they did in faith, you know, where they, they messed up too, but they had all this faith. And you think that's the point. Look at how much faith they had. You get to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, and it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. The reason he talked about all those people and all those things of faith was to say they looked forward to the Messiah, to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus endured for us. Jesus persisted for us. Jesus 
in his day, defied Rome for us. And what you have to understand is whatever trial you are in, we are safe salvation-wise in that in God's hands. And that should lead us to a place where we can live in a robust prayer life with him because it's centered on him because he is the one who is sovereign and in control. Interesting. Daniel's name actually means God is my judge. And I love how all this keeps pointing back to Christ because the gospel is that Jesus was judged in our place for our sin. So now we get to be a people who can live without this fear of judgment. In all situations, we get to say, God is for me. Who can be against me? Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Oh God, it is because of your great mercy, not because of our righteousness. That when we get to walk with Jesus through prayer, we get to persist. We don't have to be discouraged, although there are some times that we do get discouraged. But the cross shows us that God cares about us, and ultimately He is in control. Healing and salvation and grace and life are available to us in prayer, but it's available to us because He purchased it with His own blood. That He is the one who brought us to relationship with Himself. And when you look through all these stories and these prayers, ultimately, this is what they all point to. The great grace of Christ, the rescuing that we have in our Savior, our God who has stepped into our mess to bring us back to himself. As we get to be a people who live in grace and humility as we understand God's great mercy given for us. And this is the one of the reasons every single week we take you guys to communion. Because communion is the reminder of what Christ has done. This is why you break the cracker like Christ's body is broken for us. That you dip it in the wine or the grape juice as a representative of his blood that was shed for you and me. Because we do get to be a people who have a relationship with God because of his great mercy. What you see in this is that God comes into our lives, into the places that we are to lead us back to himself. I thought it was you. Whatever. Uh, to lead us back to himself because of his own goodness. And I would encourage you today, as you take communion, remember that. That Jesus is the one who endured, he persisted, and he goes and he dies in our place for our sins. He was judged in our place so that we could have a relationship with God again. It is all based upon what he has done. And if you need prayer today, there are going to be people over in the lounge right across the way. You can head over there during the music. Uh, You can head over there after service and grab somebody and pray or talk with them. Ask them any questions you might have. Because we do sit in a place many times where we lose sight of who is actually in control. Of, of who is actually overseeing everything in our lives. And guys, ultimately, it is God. And so we trust him in that. And maybe you're in a place where you find it really hard to trust him in whatever circumstance you find yourself in right now. You know, maybe you feel like Daniel and you've got a uh, metaphorical Darius is going to toss you into the lion's den. And yet, you want to remain faithful. You want to serve. You want to glorify him. But you don't know how to do that. Well, we'd love to be able to pray with you about that. It's very important that we come alongside one another and remind one another of the sovereignty and the goodness and the grace of God. Because you may not see it when you're in the middle of it, but one day you get past it and back, look at all God was doing. Look at all the ways that he grew me. Look at all the things that I now know that I never knew before. And we also give because God gave so much to us. Giving is part of our worship. So we have offering boxes around the room. You can give online. But again, it's always meant to be a response to what God has done. When we see his goodness and his generosity in our lives, we then become a generous people in response to him. Grab the prayer journals. Take the questions that are in there, your family questions, your gospel community questions. So you gather together and kind of walk through those things. You know, metaphorically, you know, what, what's the lion's den for you? What is the place where maybe you said, I believe God is calling me to this thing, and yet it caused you great pain? Were you thankful, like Daniel, even in the midst of that pain, that God is still faithful to you? 
Do we, do we look at that and not, oh God, look at how terrible these people are, but God, how can I, in the midst of this, grow and learn and serve and love and worship you in the midst of what I'm going through? Because I want my focus to first and foremost be who you are and who you have called me to be. And so teach me. Because those are the things we want God to lead us into. To be a people who live in his great grace, understanding his salvation, but also understanding his control. And, and there are places where we follow Christ when everything else in the world says you're not allowed to do that. We will follow Christ. We will. We will. Understanding that no matter what happens in the midst of that, God is still sovereign. No matter kind of what blowback we get, God is sovereign and God is good. So we trust him in all things. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would remind us of who is ultimately in control, and that is you. And that we would trust you to truly actually be sovereign. Father, if we are honest about our lives, many times we do get freaked out a lot about different things that happen around us, and we tend to let our focus move away from your sovereignty and, and your goodness. And I ask that, like Daniel, we wouldn't sit there in, in our irritation, blame others, but we would see the, our own places where we've failed, we've ran, run from you. And that we would come to a place that understands that our, our great life that we get to have, our salvation, all the blessings that we have received, are generously given by your hand, not because we're good, not because we've done the right thing, but because you are merciful. And so I ask that you would teach us to be a people who pray in humbleness, but also in great trust of who you are and what you will do. Quite frankly, God, there's probably a lot of prayers that a lot of people in this room have right now that you are in the midst of actually answering and doing something. And yet, we're like the church in Acts, and we don't actually see it. We don't see how you're moving. And so give us eyes to see and ears to hear, and hearts and minds to understand. Your goodness, your sovereignty, your grace, your love, and a deeper understanding of the good news of the gospel. And we ask this in your son's good name. Amen. As I drop the curtains, guys, just, again, take a couple moments. And think about, you know, what place you're in. You know, where, do you have a, a lion's den? Do you have a Darius? Do you have satraps that are jealous of you? All metaphorically, obviously, okay? If you do, and it actually, I'd be like, wow, well, tell me the story. Um, but, but metaphorically, you know, what, is that, what does that look like? And then maybe in the place where you are and, and the confusion you feel, lay that before God right now. Or maybe God has done a great work in your life in the, in the last month, last couple weeks, and, and you're just like, wow, I am just in awe of your sovereignty. Well, run back through all the places that maybe you doubted in the midst of it, and then come to the place where it says, God, wow, you are so good. Teach me to trust you, that you are sovereign, and that control rests ultimately in your hands, and that we'd be a people who would understand that Jesus endured and he persisted for every single one of us. And he goes to the cross to rescue us out of all the valleys that we have found ourselves in. And we get to live and walk in joy and new life again. Lay that before him. Then come and take communion. Sing some songs with us. And when we're done, head out into this Christmas season. And remember 
that you're going to step into, into stores this year, you're, you're going to be playing songs on the radio, Christmas songs, and they have no idea what they even mean. Joy to the world. That is based out of Psalm 98, of God being faithful. The Lord has come. And you, as you walk this season, hopefully take some time and remember those things so that you will see the goodness of God even in the midst of a culture sometimes who doesn't want to hear it. They're actually hearing it. And they can see it lived in your life. Live the gospel by what we say, by what we do. And ultimately, hopefully that comes out of us, our understanding in our own hearts. God's great grace and what he has done.